Well, if you've been with us uh, this summer, uh, you know that for the most part we have been looking at postcards from God, uh, looking at the single chapter books of the Bible, uh, plus a few other short books, uh, minor prophets in the Old Testament, some other uh, letters in the New Testament. And uh, of these shortest <clears throat> of these shortest books, we have looked at Philemon, uh, Jonah, Obadiah, Jude, Habakkuk, uh, Second John, and Third John. Uh, and today we come to what I'm going to call the last of our postcards, which is found at the end of First John. Now, 1 John in and of itself is clearly not a postcard. If you take a look at it, it's uh, more like a long letter. At least that's what it looks like, but it's actually a collection of postcards. And, and what I mean is this, is that it's a collection of teachings on various themes. Uh, all the key themes from Jesus' final teaching in the Gospel of John. And so today we'll consider 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 to 17. And if you are using the Bible under the chair in front of you, uh, you'll find it on page 1023. And if you don't already know, as you'll hear in just a moment, this passage is about prayer. Now, it doesn't say everything about prayer. It's only four verses. Uh, it doesn't say everything about prayer, so we're not going to cover everything about prayer, but we will consider what this passage addresses, and it's about praying with confidence. But you know, there are few areas in the Christian life uh, that are more puzzling to more people than prayer. I'm one of them, and so I find great comfort in uh, Paul Miller's transparent confession uh, in his best-selling book, A Praying Life, uh, Paul Miller states, I do not understand prayer. A prayer is deeply personal and deeply mysterious. Adults try to figure out causation. Little children don't. They just ask. But, you know, you might think that prayer would be one of the easiest, one of the simplest things, one of the most natural and uncomplicated parts of the Christian life. I mean, what could be more natural than to speak your heart to your Heavenly Father? But in practice, we're, we're often confused, and we, and we have a lot of questions. What is prayer? Does prayer change things, or does it merely change the person praying? Uh, how should we pray? What should we pray for? Can we be sure that God always hears prayer? Can we be confident that he will answer? And the list goes on. And, and most of these questions are addressed here in 1 John 5, 14 to 17. And so let's take a moment now to pray, and then we will uh, hear and consider uh, this part of God's word. Well, Lord, uh, once again, we do thank you for your word. Uh, that you are a God who has spoken and that by the power of your spirit you speak to us today. Uh, we thank you that you both teach us and make yourself known to us through the scriptures. And so we ask now, Lord, teach us to pray. Open us to your word and your word to us. And it's in Jesus we pray. Amen. And so hear the word of God, uh, 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 uh, to 17, though I'll actually begin uh, by reading verse 13. 
I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask. And God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. And this is God's word. Well, the, these, the outline for these few verses, it's pretty straightforward. Two subjects are addressed. Uh, prayer for ourselves, uh, verses 14 and 15. And prayer for others, uh, verses 16 and 17. So that's what we're going to look at. Prayer for ourselves and prayer for others. So first, prayer for ourselves, uh, verses 14 and 15. Again, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, toward God. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. So prayer, most simply put, is conversation with God. It's not monologue, it is conversation. That means it involves both speaking and listening. Or another way to think about it is, is that prayer is our most basic God-directed act. Uh, and confident prayer, as is, is we see here, is knowing that God hears. And knowing that we have what we've asked of Him. Now, of course, I can see it in some of your faces. You are rightly thinking, yeah, but Camper, there is a condition. I heard it. We must ask according to his will. And we get kind of hung up on that sometimes, don't we? Okay, we'll come back to, it, uh, to that issue in just a moment. But for now, let me ask you this. When you think of prayer, do you think primarily in terms of getting something or knowing someone? You know, our, our practice reveals... Our true belief. And, and when I look at my, my own prayer life, I'm, I'm office, often focused more on getting something. And yet prayer is primarily about knowing someone, not about getting something. It's about knowing and being known. The, the goal of prayer is communion with God. Now, I, you know, I, I think about being on the phone with an annoyed customer service agent, and, and do I think that they really care about me and my problem? I mean, most of the time, no, I, I don't. And do I really care about getting to know them? No, that's not why I called. I called because I have a problem and I want it fixed, an appliance or whatever it is, I want it fixed and I want it fixed now. And what do I get? I get put on hold or transferred to another country. But praying to God is not like that. Praying is not 
picking up a spiritual phone and calling some annoyed, uninterested, uncaring, heavenly customer service agent. Prayer is conversation with our Heavenly Father. Calling as a child, a beloved child. Prayer is conversation with the God who loves us and cares for us. God longs for us to know Him and to be known by Him. He, he calls us to Himself. He invites us to come to Him to cast our anxieties on Him. Another pastor points out that John's concern is not merely that people would be convinced that they've been born from above and accepted by God, because as important as that is, it's really only a means to an end. The goal is that we enjoy the relationship with the one who has given us new birth and established our acceptance. Our assurance of being accepted has the inevitable consequence of assuring us that God hears and that he enjoys fellowship with us. And so a growing assurance then leads to a growing confidence in prayer. Now, as I pointed out in a moment ago, and as, as you are well aware of already, John does give a significant condition for having assurance in prayer. Verse 14, we must pray according to God's will. Okay, the, the Bible speaks about God's will in, in two ways. It, it speaks of God's sovereign will, which determines all events. Uh, this is hidden or secret. It, it can't normally be known ahead of time. The Bible also speaks of God's moral will, the way that he desires that people live. And he reveals this to us clearly in the Word of God, the Bible, the, the person of Jesus. And so prayer, according to God's will, is not about second-guessing his hidden sovereign will but rather about praying in accord with God's revealed will, what he has clearly made known to us. So, for example, you, you might take Galatians uh, 5, the fruit of the Spirit. It would be praying the fruit of the Spirit into your life. Or, or the Ten Commandments. If we're going to think about God's moral will, we can think about the summary of the moral law, praying that into our lives. Uh, if we were to go back to the first chapter of 1 John, it would be, that we might have fellowship with God through faith in Jesus Christ and that God would forgive specific sins. And so we bring our cares and our anxieties and our desires, but we are always in that praying, Lord, would you work these things deep into me? And so simply put, prayer according to God's will is asking for those things which God clearly desires or has promised to give. Now, one of my favorite illustrations on prayer, and if you have ever heard me preach on prayer, you have heard this illustration, uh, but it comes from famed missionary E. Stanley Jones, and he writes this, prayer is surrender, surrender to the will of God and cooperation with that will. If I throw out a boat hook, an anchor from the boat, and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me, or do I pull myself to the shore? 
Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will to the will of God. And we grow in this as we spend time in God's word, learning and understanding his concerns and his purposes, who we were created to be. And as we do this, we find that his concerns, they become our concerns. You know, too often we can think about it, we're, at least for many of us, we're always thinking about it in, in terms of his will versus my will, the big battle of the century or something. Uh, and, you know, where it's a win-lose battle. And, and sometimes that is the case. But as we grow in our relationship with God, his desires actually become our desires. That's why the psalmist can say, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37, 4. And so we pray, confident that God is doing both a work in us and also a work through us. For as John explains, God works through our prayers. And now John shifts gears slightly. John now gives us an example of confident prayer, life-giving prayer in our struggle with sin. Uh, he takes us now outside of ourselves, because that tends to be the place we will stay. He takes us outside of ourselves and into love for one another. And so next, prayer for others. Verses 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Okay, pretty straightforward, right? Uh, verse 16, I realize if I don't deal with this now, you're not going to listen to the rest of what I have to say. So, let's talk about verse 16. Sin that leads to death. What in the world is that? Well, if we were looking at the entirety of, of 1 John, by, by judging by what John says throughout this epistle, this letter, it most likely refers to those who have been exposed to the truth but have deliberately rejected it, distorted it, and hardened their hearts to it, possibly referring to the false teachers. Now, we're not dealing with the false teachers specifically today, but they are introduced to us in 1 John, and then if you were here earlier in the summer, we uh, took a look at them when we were in 2 John and 3 John. Uh, as one commentator says, it is this complete, overt, and rebellious rejection of the truth that John probably has in mind. Most likely he would say that the false teachers had committed it by rejecting Jesus as God come in the flesh. But note that John does not actually say that we should not pray for such people. We can, but it, it, it seems that he's saying it, it probably won't do much good. Now, now why? Well, because the issue is that these people are not repenting or even about to repent. 
And the Bible is very clear. Forgiveness comes only to the repentant. Not to those willfully and fully rejecting the truth. But now we, we, we need to be careful here. Because we could keep talking about this part of these two verses uh, for a while. But the, 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 the problem is, is that it's easy to get sidetracked, uh, distracted from the main point. In sin that leads to death, it's actually not John's emphasis here. John's focus in these two verses is that Christians should pray for fellow believers in their struggle with sin. That's what he's getting at. Now often when we see others struggling with sin, our temptation is to talk to other people about it. But here we're called to talk to God about them. Not stepping into sin ourselves. Now that doesn't mean that we won't pray with other people. Uh, for someone uh, struggling, in, 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 entangled in sin, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But what we're getting at is that we're called to pray for one another in our struggle with sin. Because we all struggle. And all sin, all sin is dangerous. You know, you, you think about a, a, a large ocean liner, a large ship, and just the, the slightest turn of the ship's rudder will eventually take, its way, take it way off course and possibly to destruction. I, I remember several years ago when uh, Nathan Kiwit, and if you know Nathan, he's a pilot, airline pilot, and I remember when he took his job with uh, Cafe Pacific, which is an airline based out of Hong Kong. And so he was often flying over the North Pacific. And I remember he got this job, and I was familiar with the airline, so we were talking about it. And he said, yeah, my first flight plan, it was very clear, in bold, do not veer off your flight course by a degree or two. You may end up over North Korean airspace. Not a good place to be. And so whether it's being a degree or two off of your course in a plane or uh, the slightest turn of the ship's rudder, the, the point is that unchecked sin, though seemingly only slight at first, it will eventually take a Christian way, way off course. And we're talking about everything from pride to porn. Uh, envy, anger, adultery, all the stuff that's inside and all the stuff that's seen on the outside because all Sin is dangerous. We need to be praying for one another. And the time to do that is, is now. The time to, 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 to intervene, to intercede, is early before a person has become entangled and hardened in his turning from God. And friends, this... This is why honest, transparent, authentic Christian community is vitally important. So that we might truly know and be known, love and be loved, pray and be prayed for. In other words, true Christian community, is it's not just about being available. It's not just about showing up. And that's important. We've got to be there. But it's also about being authentic. It's also about being 
approachable and accepting. It's about being a safe place for sinners. Now, not a safe place for sin, but a safe place for sinners. And I think this is where we could learn a lot from AA. AA is is not a safe place for the sin, but it is a safe place for the sinner. Because that, in this, in this true, deep, genuine Christian community, I mean, that's how we really get to know one another. And that's how we're really able, then, to pray for one another. And I'm not talking about sharing everything with everyone. But about being honest, authentic, and transparent. And hopefully, there are at least a few that you are able to, to be fully disclosed with. So John makes clear that through prayer, what what, what does he say is going to happen through prayer as we're praying for one another in our sin? He says that life will be given. Life will be given. The individual being prayed for will be strengthened in their battle with sin. I'm I'm reminded of a a friend and fellow pastor out on the West Coast. I just had had lunch with him back in June when when, uh, Dennis and I were at General Assembly and uh, I'm always interested to know how his, his family's doing. And he's got uh, some kids that are about uh, my age. And, and I remember him telling me once when uh, his daughter, one of his daughters was away at college. So he was on the West Coast. She was on the East Coast. So they're you know, about 3,000 miles or more between uh, mom and dad and their daughter. And she was a party-hard kind of girl. And she called her dad one day exasperated and said dad have you been praying for me and he said yeah your mom and I have been praying a lot for you why do you ask and then she broke down and said because I am miserable in my sin please help me daddy please help and new fruit was born in her life you know it's a it's a great picture of our loving God at work through the confident prayer of a father for his struggling, wayward daughter. But I'm going to be honest with you, at least about my own heart in this, because it's often hard for me to pray, uh, or at least I should say sometimes hard for me to pray in this way, uh, especially when the other is unresponsive or unkind, ignoring Or if I feel rejected, I finally get to the place where I'm throwing my arms up in the air. I'm like, fine, have it your way. Want to be stuck in sin and misery? Go for it. Is that love? No, in fact, that's where I then have to ask that my own heart be prayed for. Uh, I came across these words from uh, Pastor James Boyce. uh, and and At least for me, they're very convicting and, and challenging, but also encouraging and helpful. And so I want to read them to you. Dr. Boyce uh, said this, speaking of these verses, the encouragement to pray for others is based on a great promise, namely the promise that God will hear and give life. John has spoken often in this letter of the need to pursue righteousness as one evidence that the individual involved is truly a child of God. But in spite of the fact 
that the individual Christian must, and in fact will, pursue righteousness, he will nevertheless also sin and even from time to time become entangled in it. Okay, that's all of us. He will nevertheless also sin and even from time to time become entangled in it. What then? Obviously, the Christian should confess sin and turn from it. But it's often the case when he is in this state of entanglement that this is the thing he least wants to do. And so what then? Should he be left to himself to suffer the consequences of his sinning? No, not at all, says John. Rather, his Christian brothers and sisters should pray on his behalf, knowing that God will hear and respond when they pray for others. And how, and, and how do we pray in this situation? I mean, you might think of it in terms of God's sustaining grace. Would he grant repentance and faith? Or God's restraining grace? That he would keep them from further sin. And of course God's redemptive restoring grace. That God would restore this brother or sister. Again, just as we are all called to pray for others. We all need others praying for us too. Because we all struggle with sin. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And as we learn here, as we pray, God is at work. And through our prayer, God gives life. Brothers and sisters, who are you praying for? And who's praying for you? We must be praying for one another. And we must be inviting others to pray for us. We must persevere and not give up in praying. God doesn't give up on us. He sent a son for us to rescue us, to die on a cross for us that we might be forgiven of sin, that we might be reconciled to God, and Jesus is risen. And he has conquered sin and death. And one day they will be destroyed. But until then, we pray. And until then, as it says in Hebrews, Jesus himself prays for us. You see, ultimately it is through him It is in prayerful dependence on Jesus. It is through the power of the indwelling Spirit who is at work within us. It is through Him that we're able to persevere in prayer and pray with confidence. For as the Apostle Paul says to the the Philippians, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, This will turn out for my deliverance. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are the God who continues to come after us 
even in prayer, as you intercede, Lord Jesus, at the right hand of the Father. And thank you that you have ordained prayer as a means of of our knowing you and, and enjoying fellowship with you, and also as a means of participating in your redemptive work, both your work in in our own lives and also in the lives of others. And so we ask now, help us. Help us to trust you in prayerful dependence, now and always. Amen.